from WSC-FM and H1 Columbia, I'm Justin Walsh. And I'm Lydia Blackstone. This is Politically Inclined from WUSC News. Coming up on this week's show, it's been called Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States. President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris have already made their victory speeches, but President Donald Trump has yet to concede the race. We discuss the general election results and if President Trump's lawsuits could have any impact on the results with USC political correspondent Kendall Smith. Then Southern Democrats did not get the blue wave they were hoping for this year. From losing one of its two Democratic congressmen to failing to keep influential names in the State House, the South Carolina Democratic Party suffered greatly this election cycle. We discuss all this and more with South Carolina Democratic Party Chair Trav Robertson. All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Politically Inclined. The news is first. Live from WUSC News, I'm Kaylee Olivas. The Presidential Commission on University History is hosting another virtual public forum tonight from now until 7.30. The public forum is to solicit input on the renaming of Columbia campus buildings. If you are interested in being a part of this conversation tonight, you can attend either the Microsoft Teams meeting or call into the listen-only line at 1-800-400-6044. The South Carolina Gamecocks came off their bye week to take on the Texas AMM Aggies this past Saturday. The game ended in yet another loss for the Gamecocks as the final score was 48-3. to One of the Texas A&M's strongest advantages is their running defense, and the team definitely utilized that during this game. Texas A&M passed 66 yards as well as two pick sixes. The Gamecocks also did not pick up any turnovers against the Aggies this game. Another alarming moment for the Gamecocks this weekend other than the loss were fans booing them from the stands and chanting, Fire Must Champ. Stick around for this weekend's game as the Gamecocks travel to Oxford to battle out against Old Miss at 7.30 p.m. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in South Carolina. The state's official Christmas tree arrived this morning to the front lawn of the state house. Workers will begin decorating the tree for the next two weeks in preparation for Governor Henry McMaster's annual tree lighting. The tree lighting ceremony will take place November 22nd. The event may look differently this year due to the pandemic, but official guidelines have not been made available to the public yet. President Donald Trump announced via Twitter earlier today that the current Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, has been relieved of his duties. Trump also announced over social media that the interim Secretary of Defense would be former head of National Counterterrorism Center, Christopher Miller. As WUSC's Abigail Brennan reports, these changes are coming just days after the Associated Press projected Joe Biden winning the presidential election. Donald Trump fired the Secretary of Defense, Dr. Mark Esper, today. He has not yet said why. Typically, the person to take over this position should be the second-in-command, the Deputy Defense Secretary. Trump instead appointed the head of the National Counterterrorism Center, Christopher Miller. Trump announced the news on his Twitter account today around 1 p.m. November 9th, just days after the Associated Press projected Joe Biden will win the presidential election. This is a strange action to take just two and a half months before what will likely be Biden's inauguration day on January 20th. Past presidents have placed emphasis on protecting the stability of the Pentagon before a changeover of power. With WUSC News, I'm Abigail Brandon. 
Stocks have continued to fluctuate. The Dow Jones up 834 points today. The Nasdaq down 181 points, and the S&P 500 rose 41 points. It's currently 73 degrees outside, mostly clear, with a low of 66 tonight. Tomorrow, the high is 77 degrees, high chance of showers, with a low of 72. I'm Kaylee Olivas, and this is WUSC News. It's 6:08. Hi, I'm Ward Jollis, news director at WUSC News and host of the WUSC News show, Localize. At WUSC News, we take the biggest stories and headlines of the week and bring them to you at the local scale so that you can stay informed and maybe learn a thing or two. Inspired by NPR, driven by conversation, join us. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 here on WUSC-FM. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like mac. Not at birth. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. Now I'm, you know, trying to get better, stronger than ever. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. What's my vote? No how, no way, no sir. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I can't even begin to understand why any sensible American would support such a travesty. Uh, definitely yes. Ketchup on a hot dog? (laughs) I vote no. (laughs) See? For Americans everywhere, voting comes easy. And for Americans voting absentee, it can feel just as simple thanks to FVAP.gov. It took many painstaking days, but we have finally found out that Joe Biden is our president-elect. However, President Trump and his supporters insist that the president still has a path to victory. The president's team is continuing to file lawsuits and to petition the Supreme Court about concerns of voter fraud. As President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris begin the work that is required during a presidential transition. We discuss why that took media outlets so long to project the outcome of the presidential race and if President Trump's lawsuits could drag out the process even longer with USC political correspondent Kendall Smith. Welcome to the show, Kendall. Hi, Lydia. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Always great to have you, Kendall. You know, just to start it off, everything about this election really has been 2020, to say the least. Um, And that comes in with vote counting as well. It took a very long time, long time for media outlets to project who the winner was. Why do you think this is? Well, you know, Lydia, a lot of states are saying that the reason why it took so long for them to count votes was due to the abundance of mail-in ballots that we saw this year amid the coronavirus pandemic. So that is what I personally think. Uh, I think it took that long because of the mail-in ballots. This was an unprecedented time. We have never seen an election like this where so many people didn't vote in person, but rather they voted by mail. It takes longer to count ballots when they are from 
mail-in. So that is why I think it took a little bit longer to hear who won the election and why the states kind of took several days to announce their results. And I think because of that, it was a historic number of people that did vote because they were able to vote um, through that mail-in ballot process. Um, But most importantly, voters, you know, they need to have trust in their democratic process. And I believe all Americans are really wanting a fair election in all of this. So when there's when President Trump has these claims of voter fraud, it's something that worries all Americans, because whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you care that who is in office is who was actually elected by the American people. Do you think that if there was voter fraud involved and it can be proved in these instances, what do you think this means? Do you think this um, will affect anything? Well, it depends on how much voter fraud was involved. I do think that if there is proven voter fraud from this election, it will obviously impact the results. If Donald Trump and his campaign is able to put forth enough evidence that there has been voter fraud, especially in these major swing states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, it could definitely shake things up. But we need to see more from them. We need to see more evidence on their behalf. President Trump has been tweeting that things are looking good for them and that, you know, his campaign is saying he is not going to concede anytime soon. So we'll have to see how things pan out. But yes, if there is evidence of voter fraud and it is proven, I do definitely think it will impact the election. But as of right now, joking, saying <laughs> Corona is going to be gone after Election Day. Um, do you, in fact, think that now that the election cycle is over and this vaccine was announced that COVID-19 restrictions are going to be eased up a little bit more? You know, I'm not here to speculate. I'm not going to say what I think will and will not happen. There's still a lot to be said and done between now and the inauguration. We'll have to see how things shake up. I am very, very happy to hear that there are promising vaccine trials coming through 90% effective. That is great to hear. I don't know, you know, what's going to happen in terms of people viewing it as something that is political or whether or not Joe Biden will decide to ease up or, or kind of get a little bit harder on the restrictions. We'll have to see how things shake up, but there is a lot to be to be said and done between now and January. So I'm not going to speculate on what I think is going to happen or whether or not I think the vaccine was political. All I can say is that I am very excited that we have such a promising vaccine and we'll have to see what happens over the next few months. We have the nation's greatest scientists, so it's very exciting and promising to see that. I think that's it's good to hear some good news for yes, sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, another thing going on is this transition to power. You know, I mean, it's definitely a different one. You, I mean, most in most instances, you see a president calling the other president the night of saying congratulations to the person who won but we didn't see that this time and that is because of all of those court cases ongoing um, and the allegations of voter fraud but just overall what do you think that this year's transition of power is going to look like Well, I think that if no evidence is brought forth of voter fraud, I do believe that Donald Trump will eventually concede. However, right now, I don't think that they want to concede because they still have these ongoing legal battles. They have recounts that they are requesting in several swing states. So I do think eventually if nothing major pops up or if no uh, voter fraud is actually detected, Donald Trump will concede. I hope there will be a peaceful transition of power if no 
voter fraud is found. Um, but yeah, it's just been a very weird election cycle, as we all know, in the middle of a pandemic. I think nothing can be necessarily normal. So Donald Trump is going through all of this uh, right now, and we'll again have to see how things pan out over the next few months. But I'm not, you know, too particularly focused on um, worrying about that because I, I hope and pray that the transition of power or of power is peaceful uh, in this country come time. As it always has been every single year, it's been a peaceful transition of power. So we'll see what is to come with that. And my last question for you, Kendall, is, you know, Donald Trump, he's a big figure in politics, no matter if he's in the White House or not. What do you, if he is not in the White House, which it's very likely that he's not going to be, right. um, what do you think a non-president Donald Trump is going to look like in our world? I don't think we have seen the last of Donald Trump by any means. Do you um, think he'll run again in 2024? Man, people have been talking about that here and there. I don't know if he will or not. You know, Grover Cleveland actually had non-consecutive terms, so he wouldn't be the first president if he comes back in 2024 and does happen to win to have non-consecutive terms. But I definitely don't think that it will be the last of Donald Trump if he is out of the White House in January. I think we will continue to hear from him. Uh, that hasn't even been on my Twitter mind. via anywhere via Twitter <laughs> I think he is still going to be out there and making his voice heard without a doubt I think that's the one thing from this election that I can be absolutely confident over is that this is not going to be the last of Donald Trump if he is not back in office in January which it's looking like he is not going to be thank you so much Kendall Thanks, Lydia. that was WUSC political correspondent Kendall Smith we'll be right back after this Hey, Kate. Yeah. You know that iconic WUSC PSA with the guy that grew lobster claws for hands because he had bad karma? You mean Lobster Boy? Yeah. Very iconic, of course. Right. So I tried going to the website the other day and it doesn't work anymore. I thought it was like a website for service so you could get better karma. Exactly. They want you to get out and vote and do community service and just be a good person. So you know what else makes you a good person? Listening to WUSC, because... We support local artists. Exactly. And, and we're that's, cool. That's good karma. So keep mm -hmm. listening to WUSC FM and HD1 Columbia. I think I like it. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. Now I'm, you know, trying to get better, stronger than ever. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Politically Inclined. Democrats may be celebrating taking back the presidency, but in South Carolina, the Democratic Party has a lot of rebuilding to do before the next election cycle. Down-ballot races, including Jamie Harrison's big uh, bid against Lindsey Graham, weren't even close, with the GOP winning every congressional race, including the 1st District. Democrats also lost at the state house level, with House Representative Mandy Powers uh, Norrell and State Senator Vincent Sheehan being ounced out of what people thought were safe seats. To discuss what went wrong for Democrats this time around and what the South Carolina Democratic Party needs to do to rebuild its coalition is South Carolina Democratic Party Chair Trav Robertson. Trav, thank you so much for being with us today. 
It's having a little trouble hearing us. There you go. I got you now. There we go. Great to have you here. Thanks so much for being with us. Of course. All right. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so first off, I just want like a general reaction. So what was your general reaction to both presidential and South Carolina Senate, Senate election result? Well, I mean, it, it's bittersweet, frankly. Um, you know, we didn't have the result we had, wanted in, in some of the local races and the U.S. Senate race in South Carolina. But we, um, uh, you know, we, we've won the presidency. And so it's a little bittersweet. Uh, I like to think they all have a symbiotic relationship. Um, you know, when you lose seats in the legislature, uh, and they happen to be friends. They're more than just colleagues, but you know, it, it's one of those things where Democrats had a substantial lead going into election day, and uh, they just weren't uh, weren't able to survive the number of people that came out on election day. Absolutely, and I know definitely what came to a lot of us as a shock, especially in his last quarter, was that Jamie Harrison's campaign seemed to be getting more and more traction, especially in the last quarter, raising the most. I think it was over fifty-seven million dollars in his last quarter. Right. Yeah. Uh, so with this law, with his laws, do you believe it's a sign that South Carolina is not ready to go blue yet or if there's well, possibility that, for that in the future? Well, first of all, inherent in your question is the assumption that Lindsey Graham didn't raise just as much. I think when the sum total analysis is done, you're going to see that Lindsey Graham not only raised as much money, but Mitch McConnell dumped anywhere from six to 15 million dollars a week uh, before the election into South Carolina. Now, for those of you who are listening and you don't pay attention to politics, I can assure you that when the majority leader of the United States Senate dumps anywhere from six to $15 million uh, into a state, it means he's concerned about losing. And what that really meant is, is that that's $15 million that he couldn't spend in Georgia or North Carolina or Arizona. Um, so, you know, we were glad to be that, that diversionary tactic to uh, the majority leader, but yeah, there's no question that, you're going to see Jamie spent uh, uh, over $100 million. Lindsay spent over $100 million. Um, but the truth is this. You can't change 25 years of Republican rule in eight months. Uh, that's just the reality of it. But I do think that, that part of the answer to your question is, is that think about the things that occurred leading up to this in the weeks before this election. Um, for example... Uh, you had Lindsey Graham run a flawless Supreme Court hearing advancing the nomination of what, and I'm talking about no matter whether you agreed with the nominee, a flawless per performance in front of the committee, that made Lindsey seem less crazy than when he performed in the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, so, you know, you, you buoyed him to a certain extent coupled with the fact that we were in the moment of, of a confluence of events uh, leading up George Floyd's death um, and the Black Lives Matter movement, the protesting. Um, and I think that Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump did a very good job of convincing white suburban women and white rural women and white rural men that uh, African-Americans were going to come take uh, your women and they were going to come uh, destroy your communities and your neighborhood. And I think that those two things had a significant impact on this race. Absolutely. As it did lower ballot races. Yeah, and obviously Jamie Harrison's campaign was obviously a big stepping, so it's big news for a lot of people. 
Do you but, think that there is a possibility, like this is just a stepping stone that South Carolina, could, we could see blue in years to come? I know you said it's been history upon history of Republican in this state, but do you see it as a sign of a stepping stone in the future? I think, I think there's going to be one or two things that happen. One is, is that um, it will feed the narrative that there's no point in wasting money in South Carolina to get Democrats elected. Uh, or it will be an opportunity that people see and say, you know, we've got to continue to fight. Remember, Beto O'Rourke didn't come close to beating Ted Cruz. They started that three cycles before he ever ran against Cruz. Um, so the, the truth is, is that we've got to take what we've learned from this election, see if there is a foundation upon which we can build um, and, and use that to convince people. It's going to be, there's no question, it's going to be hard to raise money. It's going to be hard to field candidates. Um, but we normally don't get the numbers until February of next year. And so you can't really determine or delve into what happened until you see who voted. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And now kind of transitioning a little bit. So I know we talked about it a little bit before that. So the loss of House Representative Mandy Powers Norell and then State Senator Sheen came as a bit of a surprise for the general public as it seemed like their seats were safe. How do you think the loss of these seats will affect the Democratic Party in South Carolina specifically or just in in our country as a whole? Well, I, I, I'm going to say that maybe the general public thought those seats were safe, but those of us in the political world did not. Uh, the fact is, is that if if a candidate had been running against Vincent Shaheen in 2016, he would have lost the seat. I think what you're going to find out in his particular seat is that it's not Chesterfield and Kershaw that cost him. It was that northern part uh, or the little part of Lancaster County that he had that overlaps with Mandy Powers district. Um, you know, the truth is, is that Mandy Powers Norrell's district has been changing since she was the lieutenant governor's candidate and they didn't carry that district. So I think that Glenn Reese, Floyd Nicholson, and Vincent, to a certain extent, were all living on borrowed time. But the the interesting thing about Vincent's seat, and we hear the Republicans talking about fraud this, fraud that, is that midnight, uh, you know, he was only down three or 400 votes within the mandatory 1% recount. They lost a thumb drive, and mysteriously, the thumb drive shows up two or three hours after midnight, and he's an eight or 840 votes down outside the 1%. So, you know, that's a little suspicious in these times. And, and, and it goes to the character of Vincent Shaheen, him not making a big deal out of it. Uh, but I think the people of Kershaw County are going to really regret uh, the fact. I, I do think the surprise was probably Laurie Funderburk um, in that district. Uh, and I think the who, who lost by 100 votes, but I also think the surprises were is that we didn't win a seat or two down in the low country in Charleston. That hurts. And Cunningham. Cunningham was a surprise. For sure. I know a lot of people were shocked by that. So just kind of my last question to you, wrapping this all up, what do you think the Democratic Party's future looks like in South Carolina? And what steps do you think need to be taken as kind of rebuild? Because obviously there have been some major setbacks in the past week. Well, I mean, uh, you know, there we have thought we had started something in 2018, picking up seats and winning Cunningham uh, in the first district. I think that everybody, and this is the real point, is that if this were endemic to just South Carolina, the answer to that question would be much different, if not easier. But what you saw is 
the fact whether you like Donald Trump or not is irrelevant. He has still gotten 70 million uh, votes in this country, opposed to Joe Biden's 74 million. Both of them have gotten a significant portion. So that means that there are a lot of people in this country who support Donald Trump. There are a lot of people in this state that support Donald Trump. And those people came out in droves, just like they did in 2004 when Inez Tenenbaum was on the Senate uh, and our Senate candidate. And I think that that is a process that we determine going into to February so that we can look at the numbers and see who voted and who didn't. I do believe that uh, the legislature is going to have to figure out some type of way to implement some type of early vote process. Having 1.4 million people vote by absentee in this state was extremely large. And, and just to give you some perspective, that was almost a million more people than 2014, 2016 rather. So there are going to have to be some wholesale changes made there. Absolutely. Well, that's all I have for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, really man. appreciate it. And that's, have a good day. You too. That was South Carolina Democratic Party Chair Trav Robertson. That's all for Politically Inclined this week. Make sure to, to tune in each Monday at 6 for a discussion on the biggest political news. Politically Inclined is a production by WSC News and is produced by Stephanie Justice and Ward Jollis. The outreach coordinator for Politically Inclined is Julie Crosby, and the music for Politically Inclined is called Fluffy by Smith the Mister. You can go find other news shows and WUSC News podcast at GarnetMediaGroup.org. From WUSC News in Columbia, I'm Lydia Blackstone. And I'm Justin Walsh. This is Politically Inclined. We will see you next week.